0: Kick is live, it is Sunday night, August 28th, The Year of Our Lord 2022. Countdowns are over. We've already got games in the books. Our game is back. Things are going so good around here, we may onside kick to start the show. That's how excited I am. We are jam-packed, we are high atop and eager, and a celebratory downtown Nashville. Vanderbilt, Nashville's team, already wanna know. They splattered Hawaii, in Hawaii no less. But we have got a bunch of predictions to give you tonight. Yeah, normally we would do this on Tuesday night, but the schedule is a little different this week, so full week one predictions almost full i'm going to skip two games and get back to them but we're going wall to wall tonight so just buckle up settle in this is kind of how it's going to be from now until valentine's day so don't miss a show i have thoughts yeah i have thoughts on nebraska i have thoughts on scott frost i know you do too i've heard them and i feel for you guys but we will rip the band-aid off in very short order tonight I've got several updates on quarterback battles. Some QB ones have been named. We're sitting here even as we go on air live and we're waiting for some other announcements to happen. Just, I cannot, I gotta stress this enough. Don't miss a show. There are gonna be a lot of things woven into tonight's show that we will not clip for individual use. You won't see it in individual form on the YouTube channel. There's a lot in the podcast and the live shows these days especially during the season that you only get if you watch the show. They're watching us or listening to us in Horatio, Arkansas, Salem, Virginia, Cumberland Gap, Tennessee, Kalamazoo, Michigan. And for all of you, and then some, I got some good news and I got some bad news. Good news is college football's back. The bad news is college football's back. And that means, as you well know, friends, we have a flood of casuals who have been checked out in what they would describe as the offseason. And they're coming back to the table in droves this week. Now, that's all well and good. We'll save them a seat. But they're going to come and they're going to sit down and they're going to say things like you see on your screen right now. For those of you in the podcast audience, let me read what I stumbled upon in the YouTube comment section today from a person we'll just refer to as T. Quote, What fun is this college football thing when it's practically the same four teams every year? No wonder soccer and cricket has more views globally than American football. I'm not making this up. It's right here on the screen. Uh, He he finishes, this crap is worse than WWE. I, of course, had to drop the elbow of knowledge on him and inform him that the same four teams have never made the college football playoff twice. We've been doing this thing since 2014. Now, you know I'm no fan of the playoff, but we have never had the same two teams. It's one of the most popular talking points, one of the most easily dunked upon myths in college football. Same four teams make it every year. Yeah, except for that they never have made it. The same four teams have never made it twice. We are lubed up. Immunity. No immunity tonight. Let's just dive into the show. I've got to first talk about a lot of quarterback updates. we got a lot of QB1s being named. For example, Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher. We waste no time. They have announced Haynes King, as we expected, is going to get the start against Sam Houston. Now, what is not going to be announced, and nor should it be announced, is one guy is going to go wire to wire, whole season. But it stands to reason... This is the culmination of what was a very tight quarterback battle out there. They had Max Johnson come in there. Uh, I think that Wegman is eventually going to factor into this. He's their true freshman quarterback. He's the guy that pretty much everyone around the program would tell you has the most upside. He was not going to be their week one starter. So Haynes King comes back from injury. I remember being out there for the Auburn game last year, which was the middle to latter portion of last season. And I saw him doing some what they would call dry land work in the pregame. He looked good then, so I didn't really have any doubts that physically he was going to get back. Now, turnovers, you know, through their scrimmages, that's been something that's been whispered about. I've given you my take. I've spoken my piece on that. It's going to be okay. They'll be fine. What you need to focus on, to me, watching a and is not so much turnover rate. Yeah, if that's happening, that's a bigger issue. How able are they to do what they tried to do in the spring game? which is take that ball and push it down the field a whole lot more. Uh, That'll be the name of the game. And you don't have to wait long because they're going to play this Saturday. So let's keep an eye on that. Over-under win total, eight and a half. They open against Sam Houston. They got App State in week two. And then it's Miami coming in there in week three that figures, figures to be the first legitimate pushback they get. At Ole Miss, we do not have an announcement yet. And when I say we don't, I mean I'm looking over here because I've got kind of a side monitor pulled up. This could come at any moment or it could not come tonight at all. Lane Kiffin has not announced a starting quarterback yet. Now, you remember a couple of weeks ago, the Rebs were over there. they were scrimmage in, and then it was a Sunday after the scrimmage, and we were getting really good intel about Jackson Dart. Now, I don't think it was wrong. I think he did have a really good afternoon. I took that to mean, ooh, maybe the separation that people expected when the transfer happened, maybe it's starting to occur. That separation has not occurred, at least to our knowledge. So Luke Altmyer has hung in that thing. It's no shock that he has. That staff likes him. It's just that we're looking over there for a replacement to Matt Corral, and we're probably not looking at that no matter who ends up winning this starting job. That's not the end of the world because they've got surprisingly good defensive front depth. they got Zach Evans, who can run for like 900 yards a game. So uh, they've got a good enough team over there. We're a little bit lower on them, but we've been wrong before. So they've got a good enough team over there. They're over under win total seven and a half would be nine and a half probably if they played in the ACC. So it's a really good, solid team. Here's the important part to remember. Whether it's Jackson Dart or Luke Altmyer, and your guess is as good as mine at the moment on that, by the way, they do not have that murderer's row of September like some of you out there have. They got Troy. They got Central Arkansas. They go to Georgia Tech, which is about as favorable a, a, an out-of-conference road situation as you could possibly draw. Then they have Tulsa at home, and then it's Kentucky. They open conference play in October against Kentucky have plenty of time to figure things out, is my point. Next up, what a peculiar turn of events at Michigan. I mean, what you tell me when you've heard of this before. So Jim Harbaugh, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole statement, but Harbaugh puts out a statement, I believe yesterday, right Colin? I think it was yesterday. And he says, some of you think, wait, these are, these are not his words. These are my words that I am translating from the statement that he, that he released. So some of you think J.J. McCarthy should start here. Others of you think, no, shouldn't be McCarthy at all. It should be Cade McNamara. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to appease everyone while appeasing no one. And here's what's going to happen. J.J. McCarthy is going to start week two against Hawaii. Cade McNamara is going to start week one against who do they play? Colorado State. I know it sounds like I'm making that up. I'm not. They're going to start one guy one week and another guy the next week, and he's already... He's already put this in stone. Like, we're not going to go week one and just figure it out in week two. So uh, that if that doesn't tell you what kind of layup a September Michigan has on its collective plate, then I don't know what does. So the good news from all this, joking aside, is they clearly have two guys they think they can win with. They felt that way last year. I think they rotated them accordingly. So I'm very, very high on Michigan this year. They open as the JP-ranked fourth team in the country. I know that sounds arrogant, but we do have a chart. We do have a poll around here named the JP poll. So that's the latest out of Michigan. We did get an announcement there. We've also got finality in the Auburn quarterback battle. T.J. Finley, as we pretty much started to expect over the last couple of weeks, will start for Brian Harson in year two down there at Auburn. Now, T.J. Finley, not new. You know, he came from LSU. He was there last year. He started the final three games of the season and was, I think, about a 56- percent completion percentage guy. Four touchdowns, one pick. There's been a lot of talk around the Auburn camp that T.J. Finley is kind of a changed guy, finally gets to be in a system multiple years in a row, and you know what the talking points always sound like there. We also know another, I'm not going to say unfortunate truth, because we only think that we know it. We think we know, this is not one of the better receiver rooms in the country, And we think we know that we got a really, really solid running back here in take Bigsby. but outside of that, they're short on proven commodities. And normally, if you've got a quarterback who, in and of himself, you don't expect to light the world on fire, what you hope is you hope he's got a nice supporting cast. Well, you may have the worst of both worlds there. I'm not trying to knock T.J. Finley. I mean, I'll sit there and root for him as hard as anyone. But you've got a guy who still has a lot to prove from the standpoint of measuring up against the other quarterback talent in his own division, and then you've also got a team that has to overachieve relative to expectations. So this is Auburn. Even within the Auburn pantheon of history, crazier things have happened, but certainly if there's a tall task in front of them. They do, though, get Mercer and San Jose State to start the season, and then that Penn State game in week three, and then Missouri in week four, and then LSU in week five. That's that critical five-game stretch we've talked about at ad nauseum. If you're new around here and you've just come back to the trough this week, this is all new to you. But our hardcore audience has heard me say this for about four or five months. Uh, LSU, last I just wanted to touch on here because there's really not anything new. Jaden Daniels, Garrett Nussmeyer, Brian Kelly was kind of adamant last week that we're going to make an announcement. if If it's not happening as we speak on the show right now, probably tomorrow or Tuesday, The smart money around the LSU camp right now is Jaden Daniels, but it feels like it's pretty close down there. I don't think that a final decision's been disseminated around the building or anything like that. Uh, For that matter, I didn't tell you, but David Johnson over on Inside the Rebels was talking about the Ole Miss battle, and he said, according to his sources, as of today, Sunday, Lane Kiffin has not informed his coaching staff. So, yeah, there's a lot of remains to be seen. Could be some staffers out there driving home from the building seeing if they're gonna get updates from the show. Yeah, that's the state of affairs in college football right now. Appreciate you guys being tuned in live. I'm about to be on the road for the next, I don't know, call it 50 weeks in a row, uh, with the Every Given Saturday Tour, and we'll be in Fayetteville this Saturday. You know what I'm gonna have in my pocket, don't you? Anyone who bumped into me last year knows it's like a gold mine running into me. Not because of me, per se, I'm just me, but because of what I have in my pocket, and those are Academy Sports and Outdoors gift cards. So we're gonna get restocked on those things, I think I have a few left over at the apartment, but we are going to be restocked on those things. So it's a really good time of year. There's virtually no downside. We get football. You get to be in your tailgating spots if they haven't snatched them up for corporate use. Tisk tisk tisk. And you get to see your friends and you get to see your team play. Uh, But also, you get to go to Academy Sports and Outdoors. And in some cases, you get to do it for an extremely discounted rate because you picked up a gift card courtesy of yours truly here. Academy Sports and Outdoors. I got hit up by someone today. I should have screenshot it and sent it to Colin for use on air. The guy came to me and he said that he and his sibling were involved in a school play and one of them had to uh, personify a famous person. The person was bald. I don't remember who it was. And I'm talking about full bald, okay? So they go and they get a swim cap from Academy and they paint it the skin color of whoever we're talking about and the show went off without a hitch. And the person responded to me and said, you were right. I doubted you, but you were right. You truly can get everything you need in life at Academy Sports and Outdoors. They are our exclusive partner. Today is the 28th. In about four days, this show is going to look different to me for the better because of Academy Sports and Outdoors. So a lot of exciting things coming up. But in the meantime, for anything in your life, exciting or mundane, if you need to get stocked up, Academy Sports and Outdoors is the hookup. And if you can't get there in person, of course, Academy.com is there for all of your virtual sporting goods needs. Hey, like and subscribe, Colin says in my ear. Just go ahead and like the video while you're watching. What do we have right now? Just over 500. Quick stats and info says 500 likes with about 2,500 watching live is, it's below our standard. So uh, let's hit that thumbs up button. Thank you. I hold in my hand a piece of paper that has really, really bad things written on it. But nope, it's not a 6th grade textbook with graffiti from prior classes. No, no, no. This is yesterday's box score between Northwestern and Nebraska. Northwestern ended up beating Nebraska 31-28. Now, someone, somewhere out there, stopped watching this game when it was 28-17 Nebraska. And all the momentum in this world was on the big red sideline. And then, a big red disaster happened. How did it happen? You probably asked yourself as you saw the final score on your phone hours later. You say, what? Wh- how? How could they have possibly squandered that lead? Well, we told you how. And we didn't even need the benefit of having watched the game. Let's take you back to last Thursday night on Late Kick. Let's bring the gray effect in on the video, Colin. Roll it. Pretty much the whole season, but especially in the first few weeks, far more games are lost than they are won. And if you've watched this sport for any length of time, you know what week zero, week one, the first couple of games of the year sometimes look like. Sometimes you watch a couple of teams and they're just, they're playing a game, as Jim Ross would say, that is bowling shoe ugly. And you almost think to yourself, it's a shame someone has to win this. It's just, here, you take it. No, you take it. He's 5-21. He's 5-21 and 21 in one possession games. Um, So that stat speaks for itself. I don't really know what to tell you. I know a lot of you want some solace and you want to come to the show and feel better. Sometimes you're just in the abyss, as our buddy J.C. Sherbert would say. Sometimes you're just out there and you are a ship without a sail. And that's what it felt like. I know because I had an inundation of DMs from Nebraska yesterday and I just sent frowny faces back to you. What else can I do? It's like we're at a funeral. It's like we're at a visitation. You just pat someone on the back and you say, I'm sorry for your loss, period. There's no but. It just feels like you're kind of in the abyss right now. I know that I try and avoid the knee-jerk reaction on this show, and I'm going to avoid it here. I'm not going to do a segment tonight that says, that's it, the end, Scott Frost is out, but I feel what you guys feel. And that sense of, inevit- I guess you would call it inevitability now, I feel it too. Because the, the reality is, while there is this, scenario in a vacuum where this ends up working out OK, we're not in a vacuum anymore. We've got so much perspective at this point in year five of the Scott Frost era that if this were happening in year one, it'd be one thing, but it's happening in year five. We do have that five and 21 in one possession game stat to throw in anyone's face. So it's, it's uh, sad. So I think that if you didn't watch this game yesterday, by the way, what I'm talking about is Nebraska's up 28-17 and they go for an onside kick, uh, which, which I'm not a questioning play calling guy, but it just seemed absurd at the time. And uh, it, it obviously didn't work out for him. And that was a shift that if you put a pinpoint in the flow of the box score from that point forward, there was nothing good that happened for Nebraska. They end up losing the game. But here's the thing. If we were to put up the box score, Colin, do you have the box score you can put up for me again? If we were to put this graphic up and you were to look at it and say, wow, Nebraska really dominated everywhere but the final score, it wouldn't change the outcome, but at least you would say, this is kind of a phantom result. There were a lot of positive things to take away from this game otherwise. That wasn't the case. If you watched this, Nebraska was the second most physical team on the field. Uh, Their offensive line struggled, defensive line struggled, wide receivers crippling amounts of drops yesterday. You didn't even have to watch the whole game. Just pick a little five-minute chunk chances are there was a critical Nebraska drop somewhere. So again, you had a situation where you've got Nebraska against a team that man for man they outclass and it did not matter at all. And this is a team that they beat by a million last year and it just didn't matter. So the sad reality as I said, is there is a context where we could look at this game we could say now now let's not rush to judgment but you know, I could say, oh, they had new everything, you know, new, new pieces from the portal, new coaching staff. So it should take a little while to finally grease those wheels. They don't have time. The entire contingency, you know, the entire, the entire predicate of having the opportunity for this season is it's thin ice. Your blades are hot. You don't get the benefit of having that long runway that some other staffs would have in year one or whatever. So I heard a lot of people say, oh, he needs the Oklahoma game to save his job, does Scott Frost. Scott Frost doesn't need the Oklahoma game to save his job. He needs the North Dakota game. You know, he needs the Georgia Southern game. I don't know where in the world we slip into this trance of thinking that there are any layups or gimmies for Nebraska right now. They got to come home from Ireland and play a football game six days later, guys. So they've got North Dakota. Couldn't care less if it's a high school in Fargo. They've got to play a football game this Saturday. Then they got another one against, by the way, Clay Helton's Georgia Southern Eagles. Yow. So then Oklahoma comes in there. At the very least, yesterday had major ramifications. Major every given Saturday tour ramifications. It just felt like a large chunk of the crowd that was willing to give it one more shot. And a large chunk of the crowd that's still behind Scott Frost evaporated. Everybody's hope that the Scott Frost era would turn around, everyone's hope that eventually we planted the seed and we waited and waited and waited and finally it breaks ground. Everybody's hope was predicated on winning that game yesterday. They had to have that. There was no scenario where they lose to Northwestern and it still ends up scaling upwards. So I feel that just like you guys do. I, if I had to bet money on the coaching futures, no, I don't think Scott Frost will be there at the end of the year. The buyout for the record uh, does drop at the beginning of October. So it's not the kind of show, it's not the kind of segment, if you've watched me, you know that I particularly enjoy doing, uh, but it is reality. So we do have to talk about it. But now we're done talking about it. There is a different schedule this week on the show. I want to quickly remind you guys, Tuesday's going to be normal, so we're good. Thursday, we do not have a show, and I'll tell you why. Because I'll be traveling, uh, but that's not the real reason, because I could travel on Friday. We have two big games Thursday night. We do a show talking about college football. I'm not going to do a show while it's on. That would be ludicrous. So we've got Penn State-Purdue, which will also have big every-given-Saturday tour ramifications, and we've got Backyard Brawl. Crank it back up. We got Pitt hosting West Virginia, and those games, I think one of them kicks off at 6 Eastern. So we are not going to have a show Thursday night. Then Sunday night, Colin, I haven't even told you this, so pay attention. Sunday night, 5.30 Central start time. Why? Because FSU and LSU start at 6:30 central, 7.30 Eastern. So yes, we do have a show Tuesday, everything's normal. Thursday, no show. Sunday, early start time. Just make sure you have your notifications turned on, you guys should be fine. And with that said, it is time to predict some games. We have waited so long to do this. I appreciate you guys being tuned in. Like the video if you haven't already. I see a lot of you have. Where are we starting? Spin the wheel. It lands in Columbus, Ohio. Notre Dame at Ohio State. Saturday night, 7.30 Eastern Time Kick. This is an ABC game. These are wallet danger games. We're going to just create some new terminology this year because I'm bored with the old stuff. The game's going to be what it is. That's how every game is. It just, it's, it'll be what it'll be. But sometimes, when you have these kind of marquee games to open the season, what if you have it figured out in April? What if whatever the final score ends up being on this game, what if you had it figured out in April? Do you know anyone, yourself included, that r- arrives at a conclusion <laughs> on a final score in April and then you let May and June and July and August go by? That's a third of a year if stats and info is correct. And you don't change your mind? Very rarely. You've got to be very disciplined to stick with it. So what happens is your wallet gets in danger because you already had it figured out. And then you talk yourself out of the right stance because you start listening to position groups get turned from very good into superhuman. And you get the Xbox crowd who convinces you that Ohio State's going to hang 850 yards passing Saturday night against a really good defensive team. And that's really not how reality plays out. So, be careful. I'm going to show you what our model thinks about this game. I'm going to give you a final score, or I'm going to give you a prediction, at least. So, just be careful. There are three paths that this thing could take. Number one, of course, Ohio State rolls, and all's well in Columbus. And, hey, Marcus Freeman's still got a top-five recruiting class, so we'll be better down the road. Number two, you just have the Notre Dame upset. That would be a really, really big stunner. Not the biggest shock in the world, but a really big stunner. But then there's this third one that would lead to the most stupid range of national conversation in the world. And that, national and world's kind of redundant. And that is if Notre Dame loses but keeps it close. And I'll reference that again in a second. But remember how we do these types of games. When we have these big point spreads, what we try and do is ask ourselves, if the upset were to happen, how would it happen? So we get the $1 million question asked and then answered in short order Saturday night. Million dollar question around this game and this Ohio State program has been, of course, How improved is this defense going to be? And the answer to that question, at least we'll start to get a sense of this Saturday, I start thinking about how Notre Dame would approach this game, and I don't think you have to go back very far. Why would they go back any further than asking, what did Michigan do that worked so well? Well, what Michigan did is they ran the ball 41 times and threw it 14 times. Now, how big a godsend would that be for Notre Dame if they started chipping away And they just started feeling things out in the run game Saturday night. And all of a sudden, they're getting five and six yards a chunk. And they really don't have to put an inordinate amount of the load on Tyler Buckner's shoulders. How great would that be? Maybe a little unexpected, but how great would that be? Uh, You're going to have to put them in obvious passing downs. They're not going to put themselves there. So that's the first thing. And you'll find out a lot about the run defense. And that's part part of what Jim Knowles was brought in to rectify. But then the other aspect of that, is everything about that home atmosphere. You know, everything about what you're getting geared up to experience there in Columbus, it's built on being able to affect that offense of Notre Dame's on third down. Man, if they're not really getting the third down very often, it's a different world. And Ohio State fans remember all too well what that Oregon game felt like last year. So that's the first thing. That's where we'll start to learn about this Jim Knowles defense a little bit. Secondly, how much can Ohio State go after the lack of proven depth in that Notre Dame secondary? I think they've got reason to feel pretty good at their one corner spot, one, two corner spots. They're fine. Problem is they won't face another team all year, nor will anyone in all likelihood, that has the stable of receivers and the quarterback to expose your third, fourth, and fifth options in your defensive backfield, and Ohio State's got it. Now, how deep into the game do we get before you really start to see those mismatches unfold? I don't know. Um, how many possessions is ohio state getting in the first half that's largely dependent on the question that i just asked about how well they limit notre dame on the ground and force them into obvious third and long passing situations but i i feel like a couple of those critical factors are going to over the span of four quarters tilt ohio state's way now let me show you what the model thinks about this game because you know what vegas already thinks vegas as of this moment at caesars has ohio state minus 17. The model, which is proprietary, it's ours, we run our own data, we do our own sets. It spat out Ohio State minus 18 and a half as its line. Now, what I ended up landing on is I ended up kind of bucking the model. I don't, there's not a rule that says I have to go with the model. So if that thing's sitting at 17, I would actually slightly lean Notre Dame in the points. I think the number's about right. I would take Ohio State to win straight up. Um, But if we go back for just a second with me, Go back to that third scenario. I mean, I'm telling you, the conversation around this game has a chance to be all-time stupid. If Notre Dame loses this game, but it's close, here's how this will go. You go into the game, and you got a bunch of people saying, Notre Dame's overrated, Ohio State by 90. And then Ohio State wins the game, but they win it by eight. And then you've got a crowd that says, never mind, these are frauds. Buckeyes going nowhere further than the Big Ten, if even the Big Ten championship game. And that same crowd that starts dragging Ohio State for no good reason other than winning a big-time football game will simultaneously tell you, but also Notre Dame's still a choke artist in big moments. They're still overrated, even though no one rates them above Ohio State. Therefore, if they lose to them close, it should actually be a feather in their cap. You will have some really fantastically stupid conversation if Notre Dame's competitive in this game, but then loses. It's as sure as the sun rising tomorrow why do I know this? Because we've seen it happen with them before. So give me, give me, if I had to take one, give me Notre Dame to cover, give me Ohio State to win. That is not a game the model is moving on, by the way. That is not a Ramen Noodle Express play. Some of you, speaking of betting, I have to lower my tone a little bit here because this is not management sanctioned. They're in bed already. Uh, some of you have asked, are we going to do Friday Night Lions again? Are we? The answer is yes, we are. Friday Night Lines does not air on this YouTube channel. It is not sanctioned. It's off the record. It's kind of, you better do that on your own time territory. That is where I take our model and I pull it up literally on a screen in front of me. And I go live on Instagram on Friday night at an unspecified time. You just got to be around. I normally give you about an hour's heads up and we go live. And for about 20 minutes, I let you pepper me with questions about games. And I give you what the model says. I let you know if it's a play-on. I let you know what percentage lean the model is towards one side or the other. Again, this is between you and I. Management not involved. There is no advertisement on this. It is it is Friday Night Raw. That's kind of what we should call it, actually, but I think Friday Night Lions is a better name. So be on the lookout. I'll be in Fayetteville this Friday, but I'll I'll post up probably in, in Trade Biddy's basement or some wayward street corner up there, and we will get Friday Night Lions in because I know that Some of you aren't getting your allowances at the appropriate time, so I'm going to take care of it if your parents won't. All right, let's continue. Utah at Florida. This was a close runner-up for the Every Given Saturday Tour destination. It's it's not a runaway for Arkansas. We almost went to Florida. Uh, We will see Florida at some point this year, and maybe even Utah. The outcome of this game, will have a lot to say about that. This is a Saturday, 7 o'clock Eastern time kickoff on ESPN. My advice to anyone trying to adequately prepare themselves for this one is forget the last thing you saw from these teams last year. The last thing you saw from Utah was Ohio State running track meets on them up and down the field in the Rose Bowl. They had running backs playing in the secondary. So forget that. That's not gonna be the case at all Saturday night. You also saw Florida totally and completely mailing a season in. At one point, Samford hung half a hundred on them. So forget about last year. Billy Napier's in town. Uh, you've got health again at Utah. Nothing about what you saw at the end of last year will have any impact on this game. I'm focused on a couple of areas here. The first one, I think both teams may end up playing this thing pretty similar. For Florida, I asked myself, what is Billy Napier ready to do? And what I think he's not ready to do is ask Anthony Richardson to throw the ball a whole lot. And that may not be their MO throughout the entirety of this season. But last year, I think it was Saturday down south that I saw put out the stat that Richardson only hit double-digit passes, I think it was three times. Don't quote me on the stat. I'm telling you he didn't throw the ball a whole lot last year, and I don't think that Billy Napier and his staff are coming in and saying, well, we'll fix that. You know, We're throwing it 40, 45 times a game to start the season. Does not put them in the best position to win. So you already know how Utah's probably going about things. I think that'll also be Florida's MO in this game. If I had to describe to you, having never watched Utah football before, what to expect here, I would say expect a much more talented version of what you saw Northwestern do to Nebraska. And that is just sit there and wait on you to hand them the game. They'll do what it takes not to lose the game. They'll be very physical with you. Uh, They will not back down an inch, but they know that you have them out-athleted at certain positions, but that's okay because they are tight and you are a much looser operation, and they're going to bank on their discipline and their four-quarter approach to sit there as you hand them the game. They got a little more talent than Northwestern, but they'll go with that same approach. It's worked for them. Uh, NC State plays a similar way. It's worked for them. There's no reason to deviate from that. So, very physical game. Very physical. I think a lot's going to be made, as it should, about the environment, about the swamp, about the weather. I mean, long-term models show a potential hurricane in the Gulf, so there's a lot going on here with this game. How does Utah flip that condition to their advantage? There's a question for you. I don't think a lot of you follow weather like I do. Let Let me hit you with a little knowledge. Did you know it's been hotter in Salt Lake City than Gainesville about the past two weeks? Please don't yell humidity at me. I understand how humidity levels work, guys. I'm just giving you a little factoid. You can take your dry heat or leave it. I'm just letting you know. It's been upper 90s. It's been approaching 100 in Salt Lake. So they haven't exactly been working out in Juneau, Alaska. They've also been pumping that fake humidity as opposed to the real humidity. Fake humidity in Salt Lake City in their indoor practice facility. You can't replicate Gainesville, Florida. I know that. You know that. Kyle Whittingham knows that. Or if he doesn't right now, he will later this week. How do they flip all that to their advantage? You know, if you were to tell me that one team's gonna run 47 plays in the first half and the other one's gonna run 23, I don't really care where you ran your fall camp anymore. The team that ran 47 plays in the first half has the advantage the rest of the game. Well, what if it's Utah? That's my question. What if Utah all of a sudden starts moving the chains? What if we find out that Florida defense has not come the 10 miles that we hope it has over the span of a few months and they are a little more susceptible up front, and they haven't earned the right to rush the passer on third down because they can't stop Utah on early downs. What if you're actually watching this game, and in the fourth quarter, you're watching Florida cramp, and you're watching Florida kind of wilt under that that late August, early September humidity because they've been on the field all night? What if that were to happen? There is a path where Utah actually takes all those conditions that you've tried to to intimidate them with over the past five or six months, and they say, actually, we'll take that. Thank you. We'll turn it right around on you. I would be very leery of that, uh, but I would also ask, how how should I put this? How effective will Anthony Richardson be? When we've talked about Richardson on this show, I haven't gone with the Cam Newton comparison because that would be dumb because Cam Newton's generational. But what I have done philosophically is I think that staff at Florida knows they have a quarterback there that kind of like that Auburn team did with Newton to where they can look at him and say, we can actually ask that guy to just go win us a game. Not just in one facet. We could ask him to go win us a game, and I think that's going to happen multiple times this year. When they're in one-possession-type games, when they're in Bob, bounce-of-ball-type games, 15 can just go win it for you. I think there are going to be a couple of times this year where you're watching the highlight after the game, and the only explanation is they got 15 and the other team doesn't. Could very well happen Saturday night. So, I mean, the anthony it's the most obvious card in the room, but the Anthony Richardson card is one that you really, really have to watch. So the key in this thing, because of the two factors that I'm paying attention to, is first down success rate. Uh, For Florida, it keeps you on the field. For Utah, it keeps you on the field. It moves the chains. We all know that. But it is critical. I mean, beyond critical for Utah to avoid obvious passing downs here because the Swamp is a very, very real thing. Um, We watched Bama go in there last year and struggle mightily in that environment. It's early season. Everyone's hopes are in front of them. I mean, it's week one. So they'll be fully lathered up. It's a night game. Uh, Utah's not played anywhere like that. The closest they would have come maybe as Oregon. Uh, This is a different level than Oregon. Just putting it out there. So none of those guys will have ever played in an environment like this. And if you let it sink its teeth into you, it'll devour you. I hope that makes it into a hype video. That's one of the best sounding things I've ever said about Florida. It will devour you though. So if it's third and seven an inordinate amount of the time for Cam Rising, I don't think things are going to end well for Utah, Uh, which leads to the follow-up question. If Utah is able to play their brand of ball, the kind of game, for instance, that they were able to play against Oregon twice last year, what are the athletes that Florida has? What kind of answer do they have? Let's take a look at what the capsule, let's take a look at what the model thinks about this game. The line on this one is, has moved across zero, actually, in the past few months. So right now, Caesars has Utah minus two and a half. The line came and met our model. The model's been on Utah minus two for quite a while kind of flipped a couple of times today on this one. Don't have a strong lean on it either way. I ended up going with the model only because I think the physicality and experience edges that I think Utah will have Saturday will end up deciding that game. It's like 51-49. It's coin flip for me. So my pick is Utah to win and the line's short enough where I'll pick Utah to cover. I will say this, though. If Florida pulls that game out, you cannot tip a big enough cap to Billy Napier and his staff for getting that done against that staff this early in their tenure. And the second thing is, it would be an extremely bad look for maybe the number one team in preseason in the Pac-12 to come in and play a team that's not expected to factor in in the SEC Eastern Division race and not be able to get the job done. It's a huge opportunity. Utah and Oregon both have huge opportunities for the Pac-12 this Saturday. So keep an eye on that one. I'm sure everyone will. It's a night game. Um, I've got to post-it here. I've got several little, little things that I need to weave into the show tonight. A lot of you have been asking for a chalice of supremacy, I to put the plural on it. They're not for sale. Y- you can only earn one. And we've got 30 of them that we're about to ship out to people who have earned them through various methods of behavior recently. Here is the thing I look for the most. If you're doing something that gets the name of this show out there into the public sphere because we don't pay for a marketing budget. It's all on you. If you do that, and you're showing me proof of it, that little glass figurine there, that's a Chalice of Supremacy, chances are I'm hitting you up, I'm asking you for your address, and I'm shipping you one. Now, I can't send one to everyone for obvious reasons, but Chalice of Supremacy have been ordered, we are stocked, and I'm ready to give them away. You guys crashed the College Game Day set so many times last year that they kicked us off of College Game Day. They banned us. So, as far as I know, the game day ban is still in effect. I wouldn't be mad if you tested the theory, but I think the game day ban is still in effect. Having said that, a lot of you are going to be in a lot of very public places over the next few months. Get the brand out there while you're at it. Thank you so much. We will be in Fayetteville, Arkansas this Saturday. The Every Given Saturday Tour is headed in to Razorback Stadium for the first time. We've never been there before. Cincinnati versus Arkansas. It's really just a cheap excuse to put this very sexy graphic up that Director Colin generated earlier this afternoon. If you don't take this seriously, let me give you a piece of advice. Ignore that Cincinnati Bearcat logo and just pretend it's LSU or pretend it's Florida. And the reason I mentioned those two programs is because in the JP poll preseason ratings, we have LSU 24th, we have Florida 26th, and we have Cincinnati sandwiched between them at 25. Very similar teams. I think that this game would be getting a lot more national attention, though, if it were LSU going into Razorback Stadium. I can't control that. Here's what I can control, what we think about the game. This is probably the toughest road assignment in the SEC in week one. I think it's even tougher on Cincinnati than Utah going into Gainesville because at least Utah takes a seasoned veteran team in there. Cincinnati lost a ton of valuable pieces, not the least of which in this scenario includes quarterback. Desmond Ritter, a multi-year starter, if I were taking him in here, I feel a lot better. But I'm starting a first year guy with a lot of other new pieces. I am outmanned talent wise. I'm good, but I've got some uncertainty about my roster. And I got to go into, at this point, probably the most underrated game day environment in the SEC. Uh, it's not getting its just due yet. I think it will down the road Reynolds Razorback Stadium. Ask Texas how that place feels to go into. I think Cincinnati's going to experience the same thing this Saturday. You have not had hype around Arkansas like this in a long time. So they're ready to do their part. I think that that matters a lot in this game. I don't think there are any two ways about it. I'm going to show you what our model thinks in a little while. Full disclosure, I don't think our model is fully accounting for what home field will mean in this game. We don't have a standard home field, even stadium by stadium. We issue a home field value game by game. Because if Alcorn State were coming in here and it was a 4 o'clock kickoff in the middle of the season, they would not get what Cincinnati's about to get Saturday at 3.30, 2.30 Central. So, I'm going to talk more about that in a second. How does this whole K.J. Jefferson, Kendall Bryles, year two in the system thing manifest itself? It's one of the most popular stats over the summer. Was Kendall Bryles, offensive coordinator there at Arkansas, he has never had a returning quarterback to work with. Well, all of a sudden, boom, K.J. Jefferson is back. Kendall Briles is back. And what's that supposed to mean? You know, it's, it's supposed to suggest that they're going to be better. There's going to be more that we can expect this year. Well, this is where we kind of find that out. And you know what I expect? Arkansas going to be known for running the ball again this year, had the best pass or had the best rushing attack in the country last year. They'll be right up there again this year. Would not surprise me at all if they were a little more aggressive through the air early in this game than anyone expects them to be because one of the key talking points out of Arkansas that's been overlooked around the SEC throughout the fall camp period has been the emergence of their receiver stable. And it's not just Hazelwood. I mean, it's guys like Matt Landers. It's guys like Warren Thompson. They've got several guys, actually, that they think they can rely on. And if you're serious to me, when you say you got an OC and a quarterback there, and there's a lot more I should expect in year two, well, I'll see it. And I'll see it against a completely retooled secondary in Cincinnati this Saturday. Now, eventually there's going to come a time in this game where Arkansas settles in and they rely on a bigger, more physical offensive line to blow Cincinnati off the ball and take over and take all the guesswork out of the game. Last year in that playoff game when Bama faced Cincinnati, Bama had the Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback, and yet they still ran the ball 47 times because they knew Arkansas couldn't withstand it for four quarters or they, they knew Cincinnati couldn't withstand it for four quarters. That was, by the way, 301 yards on the ground, 6.4 yards per carry. Why should I expect Arkansas not to be able to mirror that if they so choose that approach? So a lot of that, I think, will happen. What's Cincinnati's response? This is a, this is a good team. It sounds like I'm selling them short. I'm not. This line's under a touchdown, and it's at Arkansas. I mean, that is an odds maker looking you in the eye and telling you, if this is on a neutral field, we're looking at around a field goal game. Do you believe that? We've got Arkansas preseason power rated nine. We've got Cincinnati 25. So we, we think these are two good teams. Uh, but I think, I think Cincinnati is going to be a team that improves throughout the year. But if you look at their schedule here, this is the toughest game they'll play all season. And then they're going to disappear off your radar. And the fact of the matter is, they probably won't reappear as it relates to the playoff conversation if they lose this game. So, you know, I've listened to Wilt Fong talk. He's pretty close to the Cincinnati program. I've listened to him talk throughout the summer, and he said, look, they've got talent. I mean, they've they've recruited very well. They've developed very well. It's just the intangibles, like any other staff would be concerned about. And they just don't know. You don't know until you get into a live game situation. But can they, you know, they've got a really good offensive line in their own right now. They're replacing a lot of pieces, but Don't overlook the fact that they bring back pretty much the entire offensive line. And so they may be able to go in there. And if they start moving the ball on you and they start converting third downs at a little bit higher clip than you expect early on, that's one recipe. The second part of that recipe is you don't know what you're going to get at quarterback from them. Now, it's going to be an extremely tough environment for either one of those kids to operate in, no matter who wins the job. But all you know is who they lost. I'm not sitting here pretending to be an expert on it either. All we know is who they lost. You'll find out Saturday who they have. College football teaches us every single year there's some new name that pops on your screen out of nowhere, usually in week one or week two, and you're sitting there at 12.30 a.m., well past your bedtime, and you're watching ESPN, or you're watching some highlight show, and not only are you seeing some guy who's exploded on the national scene, then if you're a really hardcore sicko, you go to their message board, and you're reading quotes from insiders and team mods and, and maybe some coaches, and they tell you, hey, we kind of we expected this. We, we kept it quiet, but we saw this in practice. What if Cincinnati has one of those guys? That's all I'm saying. What if they have one of those guys? Let's take a look at what the model thinks. The model is uh, right in line with odds makers, but I had a little manual adjustment here. Could be homerism, could just be common sense. The Caesars number has Arkansas minus six. That's down from seven. I, I expect some money to come back in on Arkansas. So think that thing may close at a touchdown. So if you like the Razorbacks, I'd probably jump on six right now. Our model's at seven and a half. I told you I did not think that our model was accurately factoring in what home field should be worth in this game. So we put another three quarters of a point on home field, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but trust me, it is. And so we not only lean Arkansas to win the game, We also lean Arkansas to cover. I think the line was probably a little more appropriate at 7. I think that's where it will close. But give me Arkansas to win. Give me Arkansas to cover. I cannot stress enough. Four-quarter game. We don't expect any kind of blowout here. Really, really good solid pushback from Cincinnati. It's a really formidable Week 1 opponent. Cincinnati, they go on to play the rest of their schedule. Arkansas's got South Carolina in there next week. So they're two big games. They do not get any tune-ups. So they got to be ready. I've told you, and, and there's, a, there's a link to what I'm about to reference in the show description. Let me make sure I put it in here. Yeah, there is. So let me say this on the front end. Cancer research, 100% of proceeds to cancer research. I'm not, I'm not pocketing a dime from this. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. We, and by we, I mean the company, CBS is auctioning off a 30-minute private Zoom chat with me where we can pretty much talk about anything you want to. And uh, 100% of the proceeds go to St. Jude's Cancer Research for Children. I didn't really know what to expect from this. There's still five days left in this thing, by the way. Uh, someone has driven the bid up to like 800 bucks, and I now am taking it personal. Because even though I don't get any of this money, I still want it to be a lot of money. So Director Colin and I were talking before the show. Do we get this over 1000 Does some angel investor come in? Who is just disproportionately fascinated with what I have to say for 30 minutes and drive it absurdly out of the range of anyone else? Because here, here's, the, here's the ugly truth of this I'm not the only one at this company who is involved in one of these auctions, but I wanna be the highest bid on. I wanna feel like a piece of meat over here. Bid on me. Uh, even though you know, we, don't, we don't cash the check, it goes to St. Jude's. Thank the Lord it does. I, I wanna win. I don't want Chip Patterson making more on his bid than me. I don't want that. So bid, bid, bid. The link's in the description here. It's on Twitter. I'll tweet it out probably a few more times this week. We've got five more days. You're welcome to everyone but us. Okay, let's uh, get one more preview in here. And I, uh, before I get into this one, I want to remind you, we have two more games or, that are on Thursday that I'm not going to preview on the show tonight. So Penn State, Purdue, and West Virginia, Pitt. We're going to do those on Tuesday. So we'll preview both of those Thursday games on Tuesday. I know formulaically that sounds a little backwards. It makes sense. Trust me, if you were to look at our grease board, it makes sense. Okay, Oregon versus Georgia. Where? In Atlanta. What? In a neutral site game. No return trip to Portland scheduled, but yes, this is a neutral site game or so they tell me. Georgia is getting that mountaintop view. Finally, for the first time, we got a place in Pine Mountain. Back in Harris County, it's called Mountaintop Inn. Some of the coldest pool water in the world, Callaway Bleu, flows through the fountains up there. That's one of the biggest benefits of living in Pine Mountain. But that is not where Georgia is. They are figuratively at the mountaintop end. They're finally national champs, and they're finally getting all the adoration or attention. Or are they? Because I've told you for the past few months, I feel it's been pretty atypical. There's been so much crap going on off the field and outside the realm of football in this sport from NIL to conference realignment to everything other than who the national champion is, that there just hasn't been a bright spotlight on Georgia. Even on our show, we haven't spoken about them as much as I would expect to, and I grew up in Georgia. So if you told me, hey, you're gonna have a college football show one day, and the team from the state that you grew up in is gonna win one, I would've thought it would've just been a red and black love fest for six months. Turns out that's not the way it's been. And as a result, if you're worried about complacency, Maybe it's still there. I, they've got a combination of not really having a bunch of praise heaped on them, and so many new faces that haven't really earned anything. That I just don't think they've got a complacency issue. I could be wrong, and that doesn't mean they'll win every game this year. But if, if Georgia falls short of you know going to the SEC championship game or going back to the playoff, I just think it'll be because of football-related reasons. I don't really think it'll be because of the whole the whole neck-up issue. We'll see. We get to see them take the field this Saturday. What's the selling point for the upset here? Big point spread on this game. Georgia's favored by 17 and a half. So when we break these big point spread games down, we ask, how would the upset happen if it were to happen? And it's pretty easy to know where an Oregon supporter would go. They would say, we did it last year. We went to Ohio State as a big underdog, and we won last year. And that's true. And I won't take that away from you. I think what a detractor would come right back at you and say is, yeah, but I saw you play Utah twice, and they put you on skates both times. You don't think we can do what Utah did if we're Georgia? You don't think we can, we can match that and then some? So where does Oregon stand in what we call the non-negotiables? Being physical enough against Georgia, being physical enough to just stand up, to maybe just stalemate, to, to, to net a draw on the line of scrimmage, that's a non-negotiable because of how many other edges they have against you. That kind of stuff is a non-negotiable. And if Oregon doesn't stand in a better position than they did against Utah in those games last year, none of the rest of this is relevant, and it'll be over by the half. So let's just assume that they're going to be able to answer in the non-negotiable areas. Here's a key, and it's very underrated, I think, in this game. Oregon is good along their offensive line. In fact, they've got athletes all over the place. This is an atypical coaching change. A lot of times when coaching changes are happening, you're thinking, all right, well, that means they've got to rebuild. It's one of the best teams Oregon's had in quite a while, and the offensive line is one of the reasons for that. It could give Oregon more success, especially against a retooled Georgia front than you think, but here's the follow-up to that. This is not atypical retooling. Even with all the NFL talent Georgia lost, first off, they rotated a lot of these guys last year, and secondly, it's like Alabama. You just see a bunch of new faces the first week or two of every season, and with Alabama, you've trained yourself to just blindly expect them to still be good. I would go ahead and tell you, beat the rush. Make that assumption about Georgia. Make them prove you're wrong by underachieving. Don't be surprised by how good and talented and deep Georgia is at positions like defensive line and linebacker. They're just gonna have them. They're going to have guys. I mean, they've got one. See if you can spot him Saturday. They got one who's probably better and more talented than any defensive player they had last year. You don't even know his name yet. See, just a little quiz. See if you can find out who that is Saturday. But the first of several games is this Saturday, where I think that Georgia tight end room will be too much for someone to match. You don't face anything else like this. You don't face Brock Bowers, and then just for fun, Darnell Washington and Eric Gilbert, Oscar Delp as a freshman, would start for a bunch of your teams and be a postseason all-conference player, and he's running fourth at Georgia in the tight end room. It's 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 the deepest tight end room I think I've ever seen, and I don't know that anyone will ever replicate this because we're in the transfer portal era. How do you go four deep at tight end in the transfer portal era? Ask Kirby Smart. He figured it out. Let's take a look at the game capsule. Georgia, minus 17 and a half in Vegas right now. The game capsule from our model, a little bit shorter. So the model sees this as Georgia minus 16 and a half. And by the way, notice how throughout the entire show tonight, the model and Vegas have been right in line. Sometimes in week one, there's some differentiation. Not this year, at least in the games that we chose to select. The cattle prod theory sometimes is in effect in a situation like this. The cattle prod theory, when you've got talent like Oregon has, is if you've got a talented team. I'm talking about like a bunch of future NFL guys on Oregon's roster. Uh, Justin Flo plays for them. Justin Flo had an offer from everyone in America. When you've got the kind of talent they have and you're an underdog, sometimes you can have what we call the cattle prod theory, which is where your talent just surprises someone out of the gate to the point where it stuns them. The reason I don't think that's in effect is because of who Georgia has played. And even though you've got some new guys that will be starters Saturday, the identity of that program is such that they've run up against Alabama so many times. They ran up against Michigan last year. They've run up against, plus they practice against each other every day. You don't surprise them with talent level. You've got to out-execute them. You've got to outplay them on the line of scrimmage. You've got to be able to run the ball on them. And someone may be able to this year. Will it be Oregon? Model doesn't think so. I lean towards the model. So I'll take Georgia to win. With the 17 and a hook, I would probably lean Oregon and the points, but I don't have a strong feel on that at all. Because, I mean, if this, this gets overwhelming, it gets overwhelming in a hurry. I do think Oregon will have a reputable showing here. This is Dan Lanning's first game. You last saw him as the defensive coordinator at Georgia. I think Georgia is going to end up pulling away in this thing. I think the kind of feel afterwards is you come away saying, man, we got a lot to work on. How nice how first world of a problem it is for us as a Georgia fan to say, boy, we've still got a lot to work on even after this 14 or 16-point win. That's kind of how I feel it'll go, uh, but we'll see. I, I was asking someone, or someone asked me the other day, what would be the bigger upset? Oregon over Georgia or Notre Dame over Ohio State? I said Notre Dame over Ohio State, but I think I'll probably put that out there as a Twitter poll question because the point spreads are pretty similar. I have a feeling we're gonna ask that question and we're gonna get a whole bunch of blank and it's not even close. Casual 101. When there is a highly debatable question, the answer is never blank and it's not even close, okay? So with that in mind, nice crisp show tonight. Under an hour with multiple game previews. I can't emphasize enough. We feel like this is your, your home for college football. There is nothing that's gonna happen in this sport that you will not get here. Uh, We've already given out, for example, four best bets for week one. I will reiterate that on Tuesday's show for you guys. We've got Friday night lines coming up. Make sure you're following on Instagram because also another little added tidbit on Instagram to the point where if you're not on there, I would get an account just to follow this is I take this bad boy right here. Looks like an iPhone, but it's actually an iJosh. I take this thing on Saturdays and I'll, I'll be on the field for every game I go to. That means I get access you guys don't get, but you do get it because I show it to you through this. So on an average Saturday, if you're following me on the gram, you'll probably see like 20 to 25 stories from me that show you all sorts of things you otherwise wouldn't get to see. Because we get a lot of access. They're they're very kind to us on the road. And so that'll start this Saturday. So if you want to really take a full tour, if you want to really fully be immersed in what we get to see on the road, I would highly advise you following on Instagram, at LateKickJosh. Same thing on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. Appreciate you guys. And guess who else we have to thank tonight? Director Colin, as always. But producer Jesse abandoned us in our hour of need to go to a wedding. I'm told he'll be back Tuesday. Who knows at this point? But former production executive, but tonight just outright producer Christopher, or as we call him around the office, Belchi. He got the job done tonight. So you know what? Good job to Christopher. And I encourage all of you to clap, whether you're watching live or on replay. Appreciate you. Make sure you like the video on the way out. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to Pod and YouTube channel. For everyone here, I'm Josh Pate. Can't wait to get the season started. We'll see you back here Tuesday night. Until then, take care and God bless.